Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. This is episode 28 of the show, and today we have Mr. Martin Floriani on the show. He is the CEO of Flow Sports, which is a direct-to-consumer media outlet that focuses on less mainstream sports. But we'll dive more into that later, uh, before the show starts today. You guys know the drill. we got to give a big thank you to all of our sponsors. Our first shout-out of the day goes out to AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is, they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the story behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. I want to give one last shout-out before we get rolling here, and that is the Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product that has quickly become the leading disinfectant and deodorizer on the market. Their disinfectant is a simple, safe way to disinfect just about anything from tabletops to wrestling mats. What's unique about their product is that uh, you just add water, and spray on whatever surface you want to disinfect and wait just 30 seconds compared to up to 5 to 10 minutes for some other products to eliminate MRSA, staph, and a variety of other infectious diseases. What's really cool is that Procure Clean is giving a 5% discount on all orders in the month of December using the code CONQUERINGCBUS. All you have to do is send any inquiries to sales at procureclean.com. That is P-R-O-K-U-R-E-K-L-E-A-N.com. And mention the Conquering Seabus code, and you'll get 5% off any order. All right, guys, let's get this episode rolling. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today we have Martin Floriani, the CEO of Flow Sports. I'm going to kick it over to my co-host Mike and let him give you guys a little bit of background on Martin. Hey guys, Martin is an entrepreneur out of Austin, Texas that is shaping the world of sports from wrestling to gymnastics, bodybuilding, jiu-jitsu, softball, cross-country, track and field, and elite fitness. Martin is a graduate of Cal Poly University where he earned a bachelor's degree of science in mechanical engineering and his varsity letter in the sport of men's wrestling. He started his first company while still in college and then during his time as an athlete was led to start his second company post-graduation after noticing a void in media coverage for less mainstream sports. Today, Martin is the CEO of Flow Sports, a direct-to-consumer subscription-based sports media company that is single-handedly unlocking a world of sports coverage that fans across the nation and world have been longing for and, as of just last month, has accepted a $21.2 million round of funding. Welcome to the show, Martin. Hey, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot for being on the show. We're really excited to uh, get the chance to talk to you today. Yeah, you're someone who's definitely shaped uh, Mike and I's I don't, I don't know if I want to say life, but I guess life over the last couple of years, our passion for wrestling. Um, obviously, we're both alumni of Ohio State, and what you've done for the sport is 
unbelievable and I mean we can't can't thank you enough for it I mean you're changing it more every day um, but kind of what we want to kick off to is maybe start this chronologically and kick back to your childhood talk a little bit about growing up and then take us through to Cal Poly when you graduated and starting that first company sure so growing up I grew up from an immigrant uh, family. My uh, father wa- was an immigrant from Italy, and uh, and his parents were uh, obviously immigrants as well. And so um, there's a certain I don't know there's a certain uh, attitude you have when you're an immigrant's kid. I- I've come to realize at the time I didn't know, uh, but he was uh, he, you know he had started a couple different businesses, and um, it was really cool being part of that family just because. He really taught me um, to really think like an entrepreneur, and it was always being around him that was really kind of got me to um, just know that I was going to start my own business and I was going to do my own thing. And it wasn't even a question; it was just it was just kind of a known thing that that's what I was going to do. I remember uh, when I was in college, uh, there was a college job fair, and. I just, I was, you know, a couple years into college and everyone was getting interns at Boeing and, and all these other big companies. And, and I went home and my aunt got me a suit and I remember going and trying to suit on and, and getting a suit on. And, and then I, and I remember bringing the suit back to California. And then I remember going to this job fair with the suit on and it just felt so weird and off and not me. And about, 15 minutes into the, the, the job fair, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. This doesn't fit. This is weird. <laughs> and uh, and I left. And, and then, you know, from then on, I, it wasn't even really a thought that I, I would just go create my own thing. Um, and and I, I tried doing that a little bit in college. Uh, and, and that just um, – it, it was a great experience, you know, going out, starting your own job. Um, and what I really, really always had was – you know, come to think about it, looking back, I always, uh, I always had zero fear of failure when it came to being an entrepreneur. And as an athlete, I wasn't a very good wrestler. And, and I start thinking, well, why wasn't I a very good wrestler? And and I wasn't a really good wrestler because my expectations, I, I didn't, I never had grown up thinking and wanting to be Olympic champion, world champion, NCAA champion. I didn't have that instilled at me as a very young kid. I think as an entrepreneur, I always thought I was going to do it, and I always had those expectations. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I, it's just it, it's something that I never had a fear of failure for. While in sport, I definitely did have a fear of failure. So it was, it was kind of interesting how you know my background has shaped kind of the pers- the the, the entrepreneur, entrepreneur that I am today. Yeah, and I definitely understand where you're coming from that. I think inertly, if that's the word I'm looking for, internally, maybe that's a better word. Internally, I've always felt the same way. So, like, even at College of Ohio State, you know, Mike or I were never all Americans or NCAA qualifiers. But then when it switched to the business world, and not necessarily in an entrepreneurial fashion, but just professionally in general, I guess deep down I've always felt, you know, that I would be successful in this field. And it was just always, you know, an expectation to myself. And I've been fortunate enough to excel since I've graduated. But in, in wrestling, I never, I guess I never really, I, you know, I was a part of something great, but I never really was great myself. And I think it was just the internal expectations. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, but maybe I mean, let's, go ahead. It's really cool just to go on that, Josh, how in wrestling, there's only you out there and it's all about you and it's what you make of it. And it's not really about, I really don't believe that it's talent. I really believe it's your mindset and, and what you've made it and and so, but but your mindset, what you've made it for a lot of people has been built, and they've been built up for many many years to get them to that point where they're great. Or you have like a guy like Nashawn Garrett who starts when he's a sophomore and figures out a way to become great within the sport, even with not that much of a history. But that's a lot of that is just mental. Uh, I feel like I'm a pretty good athlete. I feel like I'm pretty good, just regular skills, but. Uh, it, to, to me, it's so so much of it is just mental. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think I think in person, like Nishan, it's funny that you bring that up because you watch him wrestle, and a lot of positions he gets in, it's just he succeeds because he doesn't stop, and the other person does, and he just keeps moving and things like that. And not to turn this into a wrestling episode, but it's I think it's relevant to the mindset of what's going through his head when he's out there. And I think you yeah. know you talk to somebody like Tommy Rollins, who was one of our guests a couple weeks ago, and I think he'd argue about the talent thing. 
Um, but regardless of whether there's talent or not, I, I don't think that you can talk to an elite level wrestler and not understand that there's something different about the way that they approach things. Right. Absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, just being around elite level a- athletes can give you that mindset though. And just seeing them compete and watching them and, um, observing them, you know, you see that mindset and then you want, you want to try and figure out how to get it. But it's something that, you know, and I'd like to hear your take on this, Martin, something that's always confused me is that when people would go out there and they'd say, well, you just, just convince yourself that you're going to win if it's all mindset. But I think there's two different levels. I think there's, there's an immediate trying to convince yourself you're going to do something. And then there's a deep down ingrained in you for years from training to where you really, really believe it. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah. 1000%. You can't, this is not something that you can, this is not some bullshit, like, you know, uh, feel good stuff. You read a book and then all of a sudden go out and be good. Right. I mean, absolutely. 100%. This is something, a toughness that's built in, in over you, a mental strength that's built in over you many, many years and just a core belief. And that core belief drives everything. That core belief drives your training. That core belief drives your passion to be around other great wrestlers. That core belief, uh, drives your, positive or you're thinking going into the match right so like that core belief is a a huge element and that just gets strengthened over time uh, as you as you fail and address those failures and try and get better and uh, and continue marching on that core belief gets stronger as you get older uh, yeah so i mean I, i'm 100 percent uh, agree josh absolutely Hey, so Martin, let's jump back into uh, your story here for a little bit. And um, what was that first business that you mentioned that you started in college, and what what did you uh, get it inspired from? Yeah, so uh, funny man, I haven't talked about this in a couple of years, but I started a company called it was called Slow Show, right? And it was basically we were in college, and people were now uh, they were taking pictures on you know we got a camera. And we got a camera, a digital camera, and it was like, whoa, we could get this digital camera and have pictures right here. Um, and before the days of the iPhone 7, huh? <laughs> yeah, a little bit before the days of the iPhone 7. But it was a digital camera. We could get that, and we could. We didn't have to go develop the film, and it was, it was, and we were just like, wow, this is, this is pretty phenomenal. And so what we call it was a slow show. And so essentially, what we did is, um, we. Uh, I had a couple friends, and they what we would do is is there's all these different parties around town, and uh, we were very active on the social scene, and and so uh, we would just go out and kind of TMZ it and just take all these pictures around the different parties and then post them uh, under Cal Poly Slow Show and going around town selling advertisers to the different stores and businesses in town on them on the vision and making money that way and if you get a $1,500 advertising in your college that's, that's a real deal right so that was uh that was the type of even if it's a couple hundred bucks it's like dang you know I could do this for rent this is awesome so and we're going out and partying and having taking pictures and and it was uh it was that was the first thing we did um and it was you know it was a great experience yeah, anytime you can turn partying into work, I feel like you're on the right track <laughs> somehow. But uh, so, what kind of happened with that? Did it just kind of die off once you got done with college, or? Yeah, but I, I mean, when I got done with college, you know, I took a look around at the partners we had, and and they were still in school, and you just realized that it wasn't. It taught me that for me to be really to be successful, I need to have. Um, I need to have the right structure, uh, and and it was just it just it didn't make sense moving forward with them. They you know they were partying too much. I was like you know what you know I'm in a different stage in my life, and uh, I'm I'm going to do do the next thing. Mm-hmm. So you graduate, and then I'm interested to think kind of what went through your mind at that point because I think that's the point where even if you are entrepreneurial in, in theory, the minute you graduate, it all becomes real. So did you kind of look around and say? man, maybe I should have stuck around at that job fair for a minute or were you just full ahead? I'm going to start something new now. Think twice about it. So I, one of my other friends was, had, was starting a business selling, um, selling what I broke it down and boiled it down to is time to lawyers. And he's like, Hey man, we, I, I'm, I'm four months into this thing, but you can be a hundred percent my partner and, uh, let's, let's go off. Let, let's do this thing. And so I went back to Chicago and I started this company selling time to lawyers and essentially what we do is we take all the 
lawyers that had to register water certificates and zoning certificates down at City Hall. We take all of their zoning search, their water search, take them all off their hands, charge them 50 bucks for the service, each one of them. Then we'd go to the water department with 300 or 100 water certifications that we need to get approved and we would process them all and then do that service and make lawyers life easy so they didn't have to go down to the courthouse uh, which i thought was it was it was really great business going doing it um and uh, and so that's what i that's what i did after college okay. and then how did that eventually evolve into flow when did that come about was that several years down the road or yeah that was still several years down the road so you know this is I mean, it, 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 I had a falling out with the partners and, um, and I didn't like the way they were doing things. And, and, uh, and I spent eight months building that business. And then I was like, you know what, you know, this is not right. And I, um, and I left. And for me, it was like the most tragic thing in the world because I had something that was pretty good. You know, I had a, a pretty good living and it was going to only get better. And uh, I had a falling out with the partners, but for me to be really involved in something, I need to be I need to like, I need to believe it a hundred percent. I'm not real good at, you know, kind of, I'm not good at kind of at faking it or, um, maybe keeping my mouth shut and kind of playing the game. I mean, I can do that a little bit, but I just knew for me to be a part of the company and to, you know, pour my life into it. I really need to believe in my partners and everything around it. And so I, um, and so I left, um, and uh, it was uh, I was bummed, you know. After that, I took about two or three months, and I I uh, bummed around Europe. I hitchhiked around Europe, not with without a lot of money, and just kind of scrapping it, um, hitchhiking and hopping on trains here and there, and 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 just basically hanging out, um, kind of thinking about what was I going to do next, and um, and so. Um, so uh, after after I got back, I worked with my dad for a little bit while I was thinking about the next thing I was gonna do, and um, and that's when that's when flow popped into my head. Do you think that Europe trip abroad helped shape your thoughts or kind of your perspective, or was it just a, a mental release? And was was there anything pivotal about that? It was good. I mean, it was uh, I went and visited Athens. It was 2004 Olympics, right? Um, so you know I got to see the wrestling there, and that was cool, and. Yeah, I mean, it was me kind of staying connected to wrestling a little bit, you know, uh, and that was that was obviously important for the advent of Flow. Absolutely. So when you first started uh, Flow Sports, uh, how did you go? Like, can you take us through that process from the idea to creation and the first actual, you know, website that's up and running and is showing videos? And was it was it Flow Wrestling to start and then it evolved into Flow Sports? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so great question. So I was working with my dad and I was kind of trying to figure out the next thing I wanted to do. My dad had a, a business that made confectionery equipment in Chicago, Illinois called Savage Brothers. And um, and I was working there and I hired a guy by the name of Madhu to work with me uh, to solve a project that we were working on. Remember, I got my mechanical engineering degree. So I was working on uh, what they call PLCs at the time and, um, HD, and uh, some H, HMIs, I think human interfaces. Uh, that interfaces with the PD, uh, PLCs, and I ha- hired this engineer, and this engineer from from India, and um, and his name was Madhu, and we just started kind of rapping, and I told him, hey, you know, I have this media idea I really want to do, and then I'm gonna employ it. Every every day I would drive him home because he was kind of close to uh, where I lived, and so we'd kind of keep on rapping about this idea in the car, and then finally I I told him about this great vision and how. You know, he didn't have anything to worry about uh, financially because we were going to make a shit ton of money together. Um, if we went. <laughs> and um, and, I, and I sold him on it. And uh, and Madhu is a is a unique cat. He is one of our co-founders here. Uh, he is a really really unique person. And he was just he was just all in. And he didn't even know how we we were going to do it. And I didn't know how we were going to do it. But we just he he has all the confidence in the world and he projects all the confidence to you in the world. And so um, so I felt really good having Madhu on our side because he seemed like this really, really smart um, engineer as well uh, that was was going to have my back. And so um, so we, we started getting going and we started putting together a site and I went and I 
went down to saw, I think it was the 2006 national championships in Oklahoma City. And I met a couple friends out there. And on the way back, I knew I was going to go see John Smith in Oklahoma State. And it just so happens that Oklahoma State had this massive, they had this massive performance where they got five national champions that year. Um, and it was the year, it was just this huge performance, right? And I went and I visited John Smith and I told him about this idea I had and how I thought it was really going to be transformative for wrestling. And he's like, great, let's put something on the calendar. And, uh, and so he put it, he put something on the calendar for like two months later when I was going to come in or at the end of April, I was going to come in and, um, and do, and do the videos, do, do what I said I was going to do. Right. And, uh. And so that was really cool, right? Because I walked into his office. I didn't have an intro. I didn't have an invite. I just figured out a way. I knew where they were. And so no, I just no went. So no previous relationship with him at this point then? No. Okay. No previous relationship. He didn't know who I was. I just told him, hey, man, I'm going to do this. And I really want, you know, I, I want your support. I want you to, to work with me. And, um, you know, I was pretty passionate about it. And he, he saw it. And he's like, you know what? Sure, let's do something. Put it on the calendar. And I, I had something to show him too, though. I didn't just go empty-handed. I had something to show him. I said, hey, man, this is the vision. This is what I'm going to do. It's going to be so unique. And, uh, and he believed me. And so two months later, I showed up. And, dude, I, I took a lot of his time for two days, <laughs> right? I mean, I took a lot. And I, I remember I was sleeping so one night I, I treated myself and I slept in the Motel 6. The other night I just slept in my car. Um, and, uh, and, but I, I, did, I did maybe six, seven hours worth of interviews with him. Because I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. <laughs> I, I just thought, okay, I, I got him now. I've got to do it. And I did an interview with Mark Branch, which is a phenomenal interview. I did a great interview with uh, Eric Guerrero. And... Uh, and it was uh, it was great. And I and I from there from that trip, I drove straight down to Austin, Texas, where my brother was going to school, was about to graduate. And at that time, I'd gotten um, uh, before that time, I, I went and also got Jay Robinson interviews. I got a whole slew of all this stuff from traveling around the country. And I went and I showed Mark. And I remember I showed Mark the one of the Jay Robinson interviews. And uh, so I, I don't know the exact timing. I know my first interview was John Smith, but then in between then I got Jay Robinson, maybe Tom Brand, a couple other folks. And then I drove down to Austin. I showed Mark and I go, Mark, you, you got to do this with me. One, I think there's a whole hell of a lot more money in running than there is in wrestling. Um, but I know you don't know what you're going to do after college, but I really think you got to do, you got to do this vertical for track and field. And by the way, I think we can do this for whole slew of other verticals. I think we can do this through a hundred different di- different sports. I think st- every sport needs this. And um, and he's like, sign me up. Let's do this. And so uh, I eventually just moved down to Austin, and we moved we moved into a house. I slept into the garage. We had five people in that house, and they were all uh, they were all working on the project, and it was. You know, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was a great experience. It was a fucking grind, though. I I really it was it was it was a big grind. We didn't have any money, and I remember being in a super hot garage with the dryer going, <laughs> and lying awake and thinking, how the hell are we going to be able to pay for rent? How will I be able to pay? these meager employees salaries and I really didn't know uh, and I, I just knew I wanted to create an amazing product and I felt like we had an, we had a, a great start but I, I had no idea how we were going to do it so it was, I, I unlike a lot of people uh, kind of was just thinking okay I'm going to figure it out I'm going to make a world-changing product and I will figure out after the fact on how to make money. Right and you know one thing I was interested in that whole conversation was uh, that whole story was before you interviewed John Smith and walked in and sat down and interviewed him for two days, had you ever interviewed anyone else before? No. But <laughs> you, you know what I knew? 
I really knew is I was a wrestler and I wasn't great. And I knew wrestling. And I knew that it was, it was my own reason I wasn't great. It was with me. And so I just knew wrestling through and through. And so I had so many questions. So for me, it was just answering my own questions. But I knew other people would care about it, or at least they should care about it. Because these, are, these were really good questions. And maybe questions that reporters were afraid to ask. Maybe reporters didn't know because they weren't wrestlers. They didn't know how to ask. They didn't know that this was a really important. I'm very curious about this specific thing. And I know that wrestlers deep down care about this, even if maybe they're afraid to ask or afraid to say that they're scared, you know, they're, they, they care about it. Right. And so I knew all those things that really were my insecurities. I knew what made me tick. I knew what I didn't have. And so based on that, I had an opportunity to talk to America's greatest wrestler of all time and really poke into it. Cause I knew he's human. What, what part of that, you know, how did he solve that? How did he approach it? How did he think differently than the rest of us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think before Flow came around, it almost felt like you had two different levels of people interviewing high-level wrestler, wrestling athletes, and that was people who didn't know wrestling at all or people who maybe did but were scared to ask the deep questions because, I mean, these are idols to us. You know, you sit down in front of a John Smith, and he's someone you've heard about your entire life, so it's hard to kind of be fearless and just start spitting questions at him. But... To kind of translate that back, so did you leave your job completely when you decided to start jumping around and catching all these interviews, or were you still going back home to work a little bit, or are you just running off saved money? How was that working? Yeah, I say I saved some money, and and I left. Okay. And then, so you guys get to Austin, you're in this garage, and then kind of how did you evolve from that point where you weren't sure how you're going to pay rent to when you guys first started to be profitable? Uh, well, man, that was a you. We lived on the edge, which was probably too high. Um, but so there, it was a long time. I mean, it was it was many years. And I'm a slow learner, so um, we I really I had no media background. I had I had no media background. I, I didn't know anyone who knew media. I didn't know the first thing about it. So we just started from the ground up, and 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 that was a competitive advantage in some way because I think the authenticity resonated, right? Someone with media probably would have tried to put a veneer on the videos and make it look all shiny. But I, I think there was something to the fact that it was a little bit, you know, raw, right? It was a new age. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't all cut up. So it, I, I think some of those weaknesses actually turned into strengths for our product and for our authenticity and who we were. We weren't trying to be anybody else. We didn't even know how to be anybody else. All we knew how to do was do it our way, right? And so... Uh, for a long time, we grinded through that. And for five and a half, six years, we tried to, you know, we really tried to figure out what the economic model was that was going to take us to the next level. And we struggled through that. But we, we just always kind of believed that we were going to make it happen. Um, and, uh, you know, to this day, I feel like I'm really behind because I feel like, you know, setting up my expectations was to build a multi billion dollar company um that transforms it was uh that was always the expectations and i always believed that it could happen i mean there were times that were pretty dark and i was wondering you know i had my doubts but i thought man maybe this wasn't i don't know maybe maybe this isn't right you know uh but you have to have that introspective to make sure you're you're course correcting too so that you're not just going down and going completely off a cliff, right? So you got to have that uh, belief, but you also have to have some pragmatic, you know, ability to course correct w- when you're going the, down the wrong ro- road. Because you just don't want to believe, you know, believe anything. You got to be able to at least challenge yourself and challenge the assumptions that you're making. So what did the growth and, and funding look like? So obviously you guys are sitting there with no money, but you have to keep traveling. You have to keep catching these events in order to produce content. How are you guys able to fund those different trips and, and keep things rolling? We just get advertising deals. We would sign advertising deals. One advertising deal with Sock. It was all track, all track and field. For for a long time, you know, wrestling, we were the little freaking grunts, right? Um, and uh, and and to even maybe even to this day a little bit, right? But we're now we're you know. I think we hold our own, and we, even within the company, we have so much support for wrestling because we have so many. We've hired so many wrestlers because wrestlers 
tend to be killers, right? They just they tend to be just really great people to have on your team, and and so uh, and so we would get advertising deals. So I, I remember our first advertising deal was seventy five hundred dollars with Reebok, and uh, and and a friend that Mark made was an agent. Um, he convinced Reebok to to invest in us seventy five hundred. We thought it was like we thought it was the world. Holy shit! Like oh my gosh, seventy five hundred. Um, Sell the we, company now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, well, I mean, it's all wrong. I mean, we know it wasn't the world, but we were just like, oh my god, uh, this is such a relief. And then I think that seventy five hundred turned into maybe seventy five thousand. And then, um, and because you know they did a test thing, and then they did a year thing for seventy five thousand. And then, you know, then we did that for several years, and then we um, and we turned on subscription, and we were fine subscription, and then we, you know, we we got bigger advertising deals, and we. You know, kept the model moving forward on those two fronts. So yeah, you talked about it a little bit there. Eventually, you guys down the road, you went from making money off advertising to jumping into subscription. And uh, did you get any pushback? Because I know, like, especially the wrestling community can be hard-headed with things. And then when they're getting something for free, and then all of a sudden somebody wants to charge them for things, they don't like to see it from the other person's point of view. They kind of just want more and more and more. So, how did you guys deal with unrolling that and kind of? roll out that business model well we were doing it for a long time with technique we had the pay-per-view on the technique mm-hmm. um and then um so we started with that actually with the technique we did it we did uh we had pay-per-view on our technique uh and then we um and then we added more and more and more and then we did these features on athlete on teams and then we did uh, and then we did live events uh and then we just continued to add to our offering to make it better and better and then, so, um, so in terms of the community, um, we never took anything away. We always just added to it. But I'm also a big believer. Man, there's going to be haters in everything you do, and if, if you, there, there's a balance, right? I mean, there's so much of a balance. You can't just be, I'm going to ignore all the haters and and not listen to what anyone else says, and just, and, and you, you can't be that way because then you're going to be deaf to some really great feedback but at the same time you can't be sensitive and have a, a thin skin for people that are going to complain so it's just kind of a balance i mean if sometimes we'd listen sometimes people would have a point but then other time it was like you know what i don't you know that that i don't care that you have to pay you have to pay for a lot of things right and, and i always had a belief that in wrestling i, I don't believe wrestlers are are people would say oh wrestlers are so cheap the community is so cheap i'd say no there's they're just not no one's giving them a premium product where they you're giving them something worth to spend on and you you co, you come into this mentality the mentality that somehow they're genetically different or they're willing to spend less money than somebody I, I just think that's a, a total false assumption and I think that's such a when people say wrestlers are cheap so we can't do it I said all right you know I mean I, I just think you're going down the wrong you're going down the wrong road with the wrong assumption. Wrestlers are people. Wrestlers have iPhones. Wrestlers buy expensive houses. Wrestlers have cars. Wrestlers go to a football game and spend $300 on take. Wrestlers do all those things, right? Um, so don't tell me. I know they do. I've seen them do it. I know the phones they have. I, I, so I, I, it's really important to, one, challenge assumptions that are out there, and two, not listen to every – Every person is trying to give you feedback. Absolutely. So, from the beginning, you covered you had flow flow, ugh, flow wrestling and flow track, correct? And how many sports do you cover today? We have fifteen sports, and we are adding one sport a month. Wow. So, talk about the process of branching out into more sports. So, you guys, I'm I'm just trying to keep this chronological in my head too. So. It started with advertising and went to subscription. You guys had Flow Wrestling and Flow Track, and then it branched out into more sports. So what do the employee numbers along the way look like, and then how did you guys handle that growth? The employees' numbers started at a couple couple guys in a house, and then we we moved to a house on East 6th Street and lived in the house that we were working out of, so we kind of separated our work and life a little bit. So we moved into another house – because we didn't even know we could get like we we just we couldn't imagine ourselves not in a house, so we just got another house. And then in that house, 
um, uh, we probably expanded to 12, 13 people. And we ex added a couple other verticals, some worked, some didn't. And then from that house, we were there for a couple years, we moved to our first commercial space. And uh, we went from you know, maybe a dozen people to 20 people. And we had a little bit of ups and downs. You know, we had some ups where, you know, it was some very thin days. We had to get real skinny. Uh, and then, um, so we might have gone up to 25 and then come back down to 18, got real skinny. And then... It was almost like Survivor in this house then. You're just cutting people off and then bringing them back in. Nobody knew if they were going to make it that day or not. <laughs> no, I hope not. I hope it wasn't like too much like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, you know, the the people that believe they they've always been with us. You know, I, everything I look back and if someone laughed and we felt like, oh my god, this person's laughed. What are we gonna do? You know, that was. I, I don't even think you know. I, I, it's funny because sometimes when people would leave, or you know, if they just felt like you know maybe this was too raw for them, they left. I would be a little bit devastated for a little bit and thinking, oh, my God, how are we going to do this without him? And then we just figure it out. Um, and uh, and then the people believed, you know, that's cool. A cool part about Flow is we've got people who have been here eight, nine years. Our retention is outstanding. Um, and uh, they're still working here, growing their careers, getting better, doing more, uh, doing more than they ever thought. And it's because we've had an amazing the people that have been with us have been absolutely outstanding. And, um, and so, um, so it wasn't, you know, if people left and we had to get rid of people, it's cause they weren't working out or because maybe, you know, it just wasn't the right cultural fit. Uh, but yeah, so we, it was, yeah, there was a lot of ups and downs for sure. And, uh, there's a lot of sometimes hard decisions to make to, to make payroll. Um, but I would say about three and a half years ago, we really kind of hit our stride. So how, how did your personal role in the company change throughout that time frame? Yeah, so right now we have 175 employees. I have seven direct reports, and, uh, um, and I report to a board, right? And, we, and I talk to them, I keep them informed, and they really try and leverage all their connections and all their know-how within the community to help Flow Sports grow. And they kind of push into us when you know, they think something's wrong or they, you know, they challenge me in a good way uh, to make sure that we're, we're doing all the right things. Uh, when I first started, our, our company was really flat and I didn't really understand or know the concept about people reporting into me. All I know is I didn't want a corporate company, right? I didn't want that corporate deal. And so I didn't, I didn't know, no one taught me, no one said, Hey, Hey, you need to have direct reports, and they need to have responsibilities, and all, and there needs to be a structure so that you know everything's not flat. Um, and and I remember the first time someone told me that, uh, I had a guy who's now on our board, Jim Kaufman, come down, and I, we met him in New York, and he's like, "Hey, this is kind of interesting. Let me see if I can help you guys out. I've I've created a media company and sold it, and and I I could think I can really help what you guys are doing." And we thought he was a really authentic person, and so. I, I brought him, uh, I brought him down to Austin, and uh, I, someone came in to the room and said, "Hey, there's this me mega fuck up that just happened. Um, you know, someone did this, this, and this." And I look at Mark and go, "Gosh, dang it!" And uh, and that person left, and Jim goes, "You know, we we're talking, and he's like, what's your work structure?'" And I'm like, "We don't have one. Everything's kind of flat. We you know I make decisions, and I'm kind of leading it, but..." You know, I'll talk with Mark and we kind of have a group by consensus. He goes, so who's responsible for that issue? And we kind of looked at each other and we go, hmm, I don't know. You know, he's like, that's the problem. You need to have real accountability, accountability and clarity within your organization. So he helped us create, he helped me and my brother create an org structure so that we could start scaling and actually growing. And so, you know, that's a really basic thing, but I, I didn't know it. So... Um, so he helped, he helped create that. And then from there, we actually thought, you know what, maybe there's a CEO who knows more than us and who can really help us grow. And I don't have to necessarily lead this, but maybe there's a CEO that does it. And so we, we were out, went out and hired a CEO 
And that process was interesting. And, and our advisors at the time, we had some great people around town kind of helping us. They put some good candidates in front of us. And we, we hired a CEO and it became pretty clear pretty fast that, that he, he wasn't gonna work out. And, and so we had to let him go. And I became CEO, and then from then on, it was very clear that no one's really gonna, no one's gonna do this better than I, at least in the stage we're at. No one's gonna help us and take us to the promised land, um, you know, by going out there and hiring someone to do it. Or I did, I don't believe so. And if that person's there, I, I don't know. But it just, it just seemed, it, it became clear to me that looking for answers outside of the company wasn't going to. It, 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 we weren't gonna, we weren't going to, so no one was gonna come in and be that, you know, that thunderbolt, that lightning strike that's gonna really take us and be transformative. We're gonna have to kind of figure it out. Or at least that's the mindset that we had. Good or bad, that's the mindset we had. And But then from that, from that point on, we really have taken off. So what were some of the key things you noticed in that CEO not working out? Because I feel like that's kind of a common trend among startups that kind of hit a growth stage and they, they think that's a pretty good route to take. So. What hit you guys throughout that process where you really realized this isn't what we need? Uh, no vision. We hired somebody from a big company, and he didn't. He didn't know. He didn't know. I knew intuitively where we needed to go. He didn't. And he he was trying to play the role of CEO, and you can't play the role of CEO. You have to be in it. You just have to know. You have to. You have to react. You have to have the vision. You have to. Uh, it has to be almost instinctual. If you're kind of looking around and saying, what should I do next? Or I don't know. I mean, th there are times when I have a lot of questions and I don't have the answers, but it's not a fundamental, I don't know where we want to take the company and, and I'm playing a part. Um, it's like almost as if, as if he was acting a role of CEO. Do you know what I mean? Where he, he was trying to look like a CEO, but he wasn't a CEO. And so it just it just became evidently clear. I mean, great guy, good guy, but just wasn't wasn't the right what wasn't the right fit. Right, and I think when you're at the top of a company like that, no matter how big or small, if you're going to be the CEO, and I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, and that's why I'm bringing it up. But if you're going to be the CEO, you have to have passion. You have to have more passion than almost anybody in the company, because if you don't believe in your company, if you don't believe in the vision that you have for it, then how can anyone else that's going to be following you? Yeah, I think I think you're right, and that's probably one of my strengths I have, and that I don't even you know never even really recognized. Um, but it is a it's it's 100 true. You have to have that vision, and people have to believe in you, and that's why I think you know we have such high retention is because. My brother, I mean, that's one of our core values is bleed passion. And it's something I expect everybody here to, to do. I mean, if you do not like what you do, if you do not like your what, what you're here to do, and if you're not extremely passionate about it, I want you to go and do what you're passionate about. And so not only is it for CEO, I, I think it's for the, the whole part of the company. I want everybody in each one of their roles to be passionate about it. If you're just doing it for a job, hey, I, I can ease you off. I can give you a couple months to help look for another job, but go do what you're passionate about. Don't do that here. Don't just come in here and do this as a job. Because, it, it, and it's great because everyone's very passionate about what they do here. And when someone isn't, it's very, you can tell, right? And, and, and I like to think that they stick out. And I like to think that they move on in one form or another. Right. And so uh, it's, it's it's a cool thing about creating your own company. You get to you get to create the culture that you want. And our culture is very much like sport. You know, people who are passionate about their sport. I mean, it's like a fundamental. You have to have passion to be good in sport because it's so competitive. That's like a basis. Right. And so, you know, we like to think our, our company is very much like sport. We, we create that foundation of passion. But then there's also accountability. There's transparency, right? And in sport, there's accountability and transparency. You either perform or you don't. And so we like to think that we have a lot of those traits here, and it, it makes coming to work really fun. So, but yeah, to answer your question, 100%, 100%. The CEO has to be passionate, but he's got to be instilling a culture of passion. 
at least in the company I, I want. I don't know about some other company. I don't know. I don't know how AT and T does it or someone else. You know, uh, big company and and how, and how they do that. But at least in here, that's what that's what I want. And my guess is that's something probably they struggle with as they get such so big like that. And that's why a lot of people kind of seek the startup community. But I think what's cool about building a, a company around sports is that I think when you go into a job, and I've had a, been a couple different startups here in Columbus that you find different things you're passionate about. But so many people are passionate about sports and the sport that they did. So if they can find a career that's revolving around that, even if they don't like the day-to-day, you can still find passion in some aspects. So it kind of gives you an edge almost, I think, in your culture. But do you think that your culture changed when you guys went from being flat to creating kind of like a hierarchy structure? Because I know, and I ask that because I'm in a startup here again um, currently, and I noticed that a lot of the things, everybody knows who kind of is in charge, but everybody kind of feels like they're running their own company inside of, our company and and it almost gives you a really cool sense of independence and you feel a lot of um, responsibility for where the company's going and the direction it's headed so did you guys see a change in culture when you guys started making those changes uh things were a lot more organized things were a lot more (laughs) right so uh yeah i mean it was it was good and i mean to me it's just it good, it's it's good not because it's what you're supposed to do. It's good because it's a better way to run things, right? And it's it creates accountability and transparency. So when you have five people in a startup, you don't need that organization. You don't need some of the organization that you'd need, you know, as you grow. But as you grow to ten people, fifteen people. You need some type of organization, otherwise you're not working as efficiently as you can be, or you're wasting time, or you're, you know, you're making needless mistakes over and over again, or you have, it's it's a lot harder to identify that this person's not right for this role and he should be, he or she should be doing something else, right? And so, uh, I mean, yeah. It's it's awesome, you know, having that flat structure or whatnot. But you know, go doing it again. Um, it, it's awesome having a flat stru- structure when you first start because you don't need a, you don't need hierarchy because there's there is that one person in charge and you have five or six people coming around the table and everyone's working as a team to get it done. But as you grow, it just becomes a necessity if you want to, um, yeah, if you if you want to take things to the next level. At least for me, I mean, some people are trying some crazy experiments and not and. If there's another way to do it, I'm I'm all for understanding and learning. I'm not like, you know, I, I don't have religion on hierarchy. I just I just know it's it's worked for us. Right. So, you and your team just received a pretty significant round of funding that we talked about a little in our introduction. But uh, what are some of the key things you're aiming to use that funding for today? Uh, we're going to go into more verticals. Every month, we're going to be adding verticals. We are. Flow sports is going to be is is I think in some ways we are, but we're going to even extend it even further. We are going to be the best at the world at allowing event rights holders to monetize their events and build media equity in their events. Um, we are going to be the best in the world at that direct to consumer sports media, the best in the world. And so just making sure that we're doing that and everything that is inside and outside our company is we are um, we are doing it, you know, and so adding new verticals, going after bigger and better event rights, um, adding more sports, doing better content, uh, creating media equity for the sports, for the events, uh, for the athletes. Uh, So it's just doing more of the same, but also at at a better level. And I think maybe you kind of covered what I'm about to ask right now a little bit there, but as you guys start branching out and you start to compete, so I feel like kind of at the beginning, the niche was almost, it was more of those third-party sports that people were really passionate about, but they didn't get a lot of media coverage. And it sounds like now you guys are going to start branching into more verticals that maybe are already covered by like the ESPNs or um, any other media outlet out there. So what do you think is really going to separate you guys from them and help you um, really grow? I think we're going to do it better. I think we're going to be bigger That's than my ESPN. favorite answer. That's, That's the best <laughs> answer of all time. I love it. Well, so kind of before we wrap things up, a couple of questions that we want to ask is just um, some of the crazy things that you've had or, or the funniest stories that you have while growing the company. Um, I know Tommy 
told me something I believe about like you sleeping on his couch one time when you were coming here to do interviews and I'm sure you got tons of times like that so is there any couple times in particular that really stick out to you that are memorable uh, well one cool time is I went to Missouri and I slept in my van one night before and this was with Ben Askren Max Askren uh, Raymond Jordan, Matt Powell were on a team, and they were really vying for that national title, their first national title. And it was in the middle of the season. I slept in my van. It was pretty cold up in Missouri, and I went to I went in to do the interviews and talking with Brian after. He's like, "Where'd you sleep last night?" I was like, "I slept, uh, you know, I, I I slept out in town, or you know, he he kind of could <laughs> see I was like kind of avoiding the question. He's like, "Dude." you got sleep in your car. Come on, dude. And he's like, you sleep in my house. And so I went and slept at his house. And then that night was the first time they got ranked number one in the nation ever. It was the first time in like Mizzou's history. Like it was, it, it, it was like, you know, Mizzou's athletics had sucked for so long. And so this was kind of like a big thing for Mizzou too. And the next day he went on like a, a radio interview and uh, then we went to, um, then we went to practice the next day. And that was a really cool, you know, the wrestlers were really awesome in terms of opening up their, you know, opening up their homes and, and just being really down to earth people, right? We're saying like, where they, they, they saw what we were doing and they saw we were grinding and they were like, you know what, come on over, you know? And, um, and that was really cool. So there's that, obviously, a story with John Smith was awesome in terms of just him opening up, but, um, I mean, there, there, there's countless stories like that. What about significant mentors? Is there anybody who really, and obviously your board members are probably playing that role now, but as you are growing, or even now today, really people that you turn to the most for help and advice? Yeah, for a while it was, you know, Jim Kaufman has been awesome for us. I mean, he's been he's been a really great mentor, um, and uh, and he's really helped me think through things in a better, more efficient way. Um, other than that, you know, I kind of look outward a little bit for mentors. I feel like, you know, we are, if you want to put it in wrestling terms, you know, we're kind of like state champs. We might be good, but there are some really awesome Olympic wrestlers out there. There's some really great, uh, there are some really great businesses like Facebook. They've been transformative, right? They've built, 50, you know, billion, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of equity, you know, since we've been around. So, you know, I, I look at those other players and I think, you know, why not us? Why, what do we need to do to be better? What, what do we need to do to be, to have bigger impact? And so I kind of look outward on a lot of those things and look at what people have done and, uh, and realize that, you know, it's a little bit humbling to do that because there's so much success out there. Um, and knowing that, you know, every, every person's different, every, you know, every market's different and whatnot, but also understand that, there's there's a long way to go in that you know so I, I read I try and read a lot um, and um, and yeah just keep an open mind in terms of um, you know what what do I need to grow to get better what do I need to do to take flow sports to that next level yeah so today what what are some of the major areas that you're still looking for uh, help within the company or maybe still working on that you feel uh, could use improvement. For anybody listening to this that, that might want to reach out and be a part of the flow team. Oh, uh, so I mean, you could go to our site. We have about, what, 30 open recs. So um, there's a slew. There is a slew of open recs, uh, all types of positions, all types of levels. So the opportunity at flow is huge. And I like to think that uh, we really grow people's – if you're a killer, you are going to do really, really well at flow. And you're going to love it, too, because we have that open, accountable, transparent working environment. And you get you get to be part of something like basically a rocket ship that's growing right now. You know, we're at 170 employees. We'll be at 300 uh, uh, by the end of 2017. So we're going to be aggressively growing. And so we need really great people to help us do that. So it's a great culture. Austin, Texas is a great town. And um, it's 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 overall fun, and I think it really helps help you grow your career. Yeah, you don't have to sleep in a van or a garage anymore. You broke past that point, so you guys you can jump on the boat at the perfect time. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So the final question we always wrap up with is uh, our phrase or our theme of our podcast is "live uncomfortably," and I'm sure you're familiar with just the phrase in general from wrestling. But we feel like a lot of successful people we've run into 
have spent a significant number of years of their life living uncomfortably so to be to get to where they are so what does that phrase kind of mean to you and how does it relate to your life and you talked a little bit about it so you don't have to recap all of it but uh just when somebody says that to you what does it kind of bring to your mind uh living uncomfortable yeah to me it is in some ways in this a necessity and sometimes it's just you know having we have another thing that says feedback is a gift right and so that's a core value in our company so bleed passion feedback is a gift and you know, sometimes it's it's looking at yourself and realizing that you know when someone's telling you something that hey we really you got to really improve um, and improving is hard so um, and doing the right thing is sometimes scary or doing something different is something scary so I mean living uncomfortably is probably I have a, a, a high tolerance for living uncomfortably over the last 10 years more so than a lot of other folks uh, one probably just because of the base of wrestling and, and what that does to you and getting beaten down uh, but I mean it's um, it's uncomfortable but if you really believe in what you want to do and you really focus on it it's it's just something that you're doing. I mean, it's it's not even it's not even a thought. It's actually more invigorating. Um, and so, as long as you have that vision of where you want to go, living uncomfortably is is it's kind of normalized a little bit because you're so focused on the vision. You're so focused on moving forward. You're so focused on getting to where you want. Where you're thinking about it. You're when you're going to sleep, you're dreaming about it. When you wake up, you're thinking about some more, and it's just an all-encompassing part of your life. And living uncomfortable is just a almost like a byproduct. It doesn't even matter so much that you're living uncomfortably, as long as you're making significant progress to your into uh, your vision. And so, um, if you're really hung up on living comfortably, um, you know, I, I'd say a little bit now. My tolerance has gone down for that. You know, I, I don't want to be living in a van. I've gone past that. I don't want to. I don't want to live uncomfortably just to live uncomfortably. I want to. If I have to live uncomfortably, I will live uncomfortably. Whatever I got to do to get to the vision. But it's also also about working smart. You know, like and 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 working smart. There's no substitute working smart and getting to your vision faster. So I, I think you gotta you, you gotta realize, hey, we gotta live uncomfortable. You gotta address things that you might be uncomfortable. You got to push yourself in a leadership role. Um, you got to face, be confrontational, but at the same time, you shouldn't just be living uncomfortably. You shouldn't be obsessed with it. I mean, if you can live comfortably and still get to the same thing, then go do that. Right. Um, it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be a thing that, Ooh, I got to live uncomfortably, but if it's there and that's something that you have to do, then so be it. That's nothing. Cause you're getting through your, if you're getting to your vision faster, that's all you care about. That's Definitely. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end the show, Martin. Thanks a lot for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Taking your time. Is there, yeah, no problem. That, is there anything that we missed that you want to wrap up with that you think is pivotal, pivotal in the story of flow, or do you think that we, we encompassed it pretty well? I think you guys got it. Cool. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Conquerors. Well, that's where we're going to end the show today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen, and go ahead. If you like the show, share it with your friends. Rate us on iTunes and check out all our social media pages. We'll also have um, all of Flo's pages linked. Well, not all of them. There would be a lot. But we'll have Flow Sports' main page linked in the show notes. And you can go check it out if you want to find one of your sports. It's more likely it's on there than not. Before we go, we got to give one last big shout-out to all of our sponsors. Our first shout-out of the day goes out to AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. 
Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the story behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. I want to give one last shout-out before we get rolling here, and that is the Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product that has quickly become the leading disinfectant and deodorizer on the market. Their disinfectant is a simple, safe way to disinfect just about anything from tabletops to wrestling mats. What's unique about their product is that uh, you just add water and spray on whatever surface you want to disinfect and wait just 30 seconds compared to up to 5 to 10 minutes for some other products to eliminate MRSA, staph, and a variety of other infectious diseases. What's really cool is that Procure Clean is giving a 5% discount on all orders in the month of December using the code CONQUERINGCBUS. All you have to do is send any inquiries to sales at procureclean.com. That is P-R-O-K-U-R-E-K-L-E-A-N.com. And mention the Conquering CBUS code and you'll get 5% off any order. All right, guys, that's the end of the episode. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.